Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. As usual, we'll have a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. And uh, we won't have Christina today because she's off holidaying over in Greece at the moment for the next few weeks. So uh, I'm going to give you a little few tips on uh, websites that work. But right now, we're going to cross over to the Hunter Recruitment Group and have a chat with Craig McGregor. Good afternoon, Craig. G'day, Julian. How are you going today? I'm very well. Thank you once again for joining us this afternoon. And uh, I believe we're going to look at resumes and, and functional versus chronological. Yeah, so it's, <clears throat> I think it's a good topic in terms of most people understand a traditional or a chronological resume and how that works. It's a, a time-based resume, so <clears throat> most people would put their most recent or current employer first, followed by the job that they had previously and described you know, through responsibilities and achievements what they've been doing and selling themselves in those areas. The functional resume is, is a resume that can be used um, to really highlight skill sets, experience, as opposed to a time-based um, chronological history of your work experience. So... Uh uh, I presume that there's certain types of work or uh, certain pe- people that would one fu- one uh, type of resume would suit rather than another. Yeah, so it's about you know we, we've talked at, at length in, in conversations in the past about this being a, a sales process. If you're a candidate looking for work, you've got to find out what's the best vehicle to sell me effectively. And I think for some people, a functional resume is the best way to sell themselves to a potential employer. And so a good example is we're working with a young guy at the moment who's, who's coming out of a very technical engineering uh, field, but his life passion is he wants to move into financial planning. And so rather than having his chronological resume that's highlighting all these great employers that he worked in this technical space, we're actually going to use the skills that he acquired in those spaces, along with his qualifications that he's gaining in his new desired field, to really sell how he would work in that new space. So, so just using old skills in a different way. So I suppose that uh, when you're talking about those skills, you would then be giving some practical examples and then obviously referring the employer to how those practical examples would work in, in their environment. 100%. 100%. Because the reader of the document, they're, they're really, what's my pain? What am I trying to, to gain? I need someone in a financial power planning type role. Uh, this chemical engineering type character, well, he's not going to work. But if we sell it in a process of, I've, I've got my qualifications in, in financial planning, and these things that I did over here in the engineering space, like project management, customer service, attention to detail, time management, all those requirements for the future role or in your industry, okay, it might be a clearer picture for them to understand. Okay, those transferable skills, they're going to work in this new role. And I suppose that obviously you, you focus those functional things on the uh, skill set that they've re- required uh, in the advertisement. Correct. Yeah. 100%. So, yeah. So um, is there a place, do you think, to put the two together so we have a functional and a chronological one? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, anyone that we, we counsel to go down the um, functional path, we normally have, like uh, I call it like a career summary at the back end of the resume, yeah. which is just uh, you know, a dot point that I worked at. Company X for this period of time, company Y for this period of time. So then the, the, the reader can get, okay, good, they've got these skills and here's where the time frames that they got them. And it's also, for, you know, that, that tenure still sells. So if it's someone that's been in an organisation for 10 years, oh, great, they're loyal, they're going to stick, as opposed to that person that's gone, oh, here's, here's, here's 100 jobs over the last five years. 
and there's always a danger out there uh, with people when they're applying for jobs. They've got this resume. They just keep sending the same resume to everybody. Um, yeah, and I, I presume that you won't. Why she wouldn't necessarily change the uh, the resume? There's there's a place for this covering letter, isn't there? Yeah, and so that's probably you know the biggest frustration in my work in Hunter Recruitment Group is that people will send me a totally inappropriate cover letter for the role that they're applying for, and uh, my comment to people is, I'm not a mind reader. Yeah, uh, the covering letter is a great space to set out what's my motivation. Why do I want to apply for this role? And the example that we're talking about with the young guy that's moving out of engineering into uh, financial planning, that covering letter is a vehicle to really sell his motivation, his passion, his dedication, uh, his, his um, life's work. At, you know, From a young kid, I've been uh, interested in investing and I have my own portfolio and I want to take that to another professional level and I've gone out there and I've done this training and I'm really motivated to get a start in this industry and willing to do... Those, that, that, that piece there really mm. sells him so effectively that I want to have a chat to him and the, the trap that people fall into is that they think the resume is going to give them a job and it really is a trap in this market where electronically we can just go on Seek or wherever and send our resume and go great wipe my hands I'm going to get that job the resume gets you to the interview it's the interview that gets you the job so you've got to use it in that way I know that in marketing um, the uh there's a trend to use photographs more, uh, obviously websites and Facebook and, and and so forth, but is there a role for using photographs in your resume? Yeah, I think, you know, look, if you think about this process, the process of recruitment is a human connection process. People will hire people like themselves. Uh, that's how human beings work, and, and it's about trying to, I, I, I think that it's trying to mirror uh, the other side. So if someone's uh, got these sorts of skill sets or this sort of background and I've got something similar, then that, that, that affinity will get you over across the line compared to other candidates. Mm. And a photo can help do that. Now, um, if you look at you know, the technology and how things have changed over the last five, ten years, uh, a website like LinkedIn, you know, if you don't have a photo on LinkedIn, then people think you're untrustworthy and they won't connect with you. So a photo in a resume, yeah, look, it's, it's horses for courses. If you're a, a tradie going for a driving role up in the, the Hunter Valley, then maybe a photo in the resume is not going to work. But if you're going for a, a customer service facing role where, you know, and you've got that warm, friendly or professional headshot that you'd use on LinkedIn, I think that's another sales feature in this sales process that is recruitment. And as you say, all, all the resume is is a step in the chain to, to get you to the interview um, where you're really going to sell yourself. Yeah, and look, you know, again, uh, reflecting on my business, we have a database full of people. You know, if a, a customer was to ring me tomorrow for X job and we started to search our database and someone had their photo and we then put that in the, we've got a little section for the photos um, in our database, it's just a visual reminder because mm. if you put yourself in my shoes, I see a lot of people on a daily basis that we interview. Sometimes it's hard to remember who's who, but a face to a name, it, it just adds to that memory piece. Well, th thanks for that. And putting your other hat on now as uh, President of the Maitland Chamber of Commerce, what's happening yep. up there this month? Yeah, well, next look, month, um, I should say. <laughs> so, yeah, so our meetings are third Thursday of every month. So, yeah, we, we've just had a meeting. We're into the July meeting coming up where um, the guys at the Martins Creek Quarry are going to come and talk to us about their expansion project and how that impacts the local market. Uh, but more importantly, I think, I think as a chamber, I'm really proud as President over the last sort of few months we've started to really engage with the community a little bit better and and try and uh, use our 
our size and our voice to to communicate uh, some of the issues in our community and support those. So some fun stuff that we're doing around, like you know, Red Twenty Five with um, Red Cross and trying to generate uh, blood donation. And we're we're in a competition with the Singleton Chamber to see who can donate the most blood over the next couple of months. And we've got um, you know, the Cancer Council have got this really um, excellent initiative that we're a part of a pilot program where. They're creating policies and documents to assist um, business owners if, if one of your employees um, has that unfortunate news that they come to work and they've got cancer. And how do we as an employer deal with that? What policies and procedures do we need? And how can we assist this employee go through it? Or if it's a key person in your business, mm. how do you maintain your business while they're going through those sorts of issues? So that stuff is... You know, it's it's critical to business and it's important that we can be a part of that. So I'm really proud at the moment that we're working on some of those initiatives. Great. Well, well done. Well, thanks very much for your time today and uh, we'll chat with you again another uh, week. Yeah, excellent. No worries. Thanks, thanks, Julian. Thank you. Bye-bye. And as I say, Christina is not with us today, so I thought we would talk about making your website more effective. You know, many people view the World Wide Web as a gigantic library containing all the information that has ever been published. They love the idea that from the comfort of their home or the office, they can access information from anywhere in the world. Now imagine that your website is just one article or a book in that gigantic library. How will anyone find your site amongst the billions of others? There's a well-known phrase from the movie Field of Dreams. If you build it, he will come. Many people think that this phrase can apply to the internet and that if they throw a website together and launch it, by the end of the week, they will be on the first page of Google and orders will be streaming in. Well, this couldn't be further from the truth. Others put off having a website because they think it will be very expensive to develop or they don't know how to build one. In fact, surveys from around the Western world indicate that about 55% of small businesses do not have an online presence, which is quite staggering when you think about the high usage of the internet for finding and obtaining products and services. But with over 1 billion websites in the world, what can you do to stand out? Well, in my opinion, 80% of those websites are not very effective. They look appealing and attractive at first glance, but they break all the basic marketing rules, proven rules that have been around for decades and, and fail to produce any results from the business concerned. So how do we get our website right? Well, first of all, think of your website like a billboard or a shop front. Um, what does it say about your business? You know, on a website, you've got about seven seconds to attract someone to want to know more or flick off to somewhere else. Think about who your target customers are. What words are they likely to type into the uh, computer to find the product or service that you're offering? And then the next question is, what do they want to know about your business? When I talk with a lot of businesses, it's amazing how many of them assume that customers know things. Oh, you can't really make assumptions about anything. You've got to uh, tell people and tell people and tell people. You've got to tell them what they're likely want to want to know and, of course, what you would like them to know about your business. In marketing, for many, many decades, we've used a formula called the ADA formula. That formula, just because we've now gone online, is still applicable to websites. Attention. Grab their attention by telling them the solution that you've got to their problem. 
it's, uh, it's likely that they've typed into their uh, computer from Google, how do I do this or how do I solve this? If you've got the solution, tell them you've got the solution. That's the first thing they should see when they arrive on your home page. Then you go through the I and the D of ADA, interest and desire. How do you solve their problem? And build some emotion into your wording and use key words. Imagine you're face-to-face with that customer and how would you be talking to them? Well, you're not face-to-face with the customer, but your website is. And then have a call to action. On every screen view, you should have at least one call to action telling people what you want them to do next. You know, uh, Richard Branson made the comment, people need to be led. You need to tell people, click here, do this. Is this what you're looking for? Don't just assume that they're going to scroll all the way up, back up to the top to click on a menu bar. There's a number of critical areas of your website. Webs- uh, Google will read your website in the same way as a person reads it. So it starts at the top, headings, subheadings. You need to be including benefits rather than features. You need to be having those calls to action. And, of course, above all, some testimonials to back up that it's not you saying this, but it's other people who have experienced your product or service and they can support the benefits that you're offering. Um, And another important thing is to consider putting some videos on. Videos have been proven that people will watch them several times. They'll stay on your website longer. And, uh, of course, videos are a way of showing people how to use your product or service and they get more of an experience. So there's a lot of things you can do to a website to make sure that you're not one of those 80% that are just getting lost where people arrive, click and go somewhere else where they will stay and do something with it. And of course, just as a a reminder there, uh, Switched On Hunter, which is a, a a government-funded program, continues to have workshops on building websites and social media. So switchedonhunter.com.au, you can find information. Time for a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. Um, This one here is to develop new productivity habits that will stick. Productivity systems are the behaviours we repeat consistently and methodically to get more done. People often change their systems in order to improve productivity, but then find themselves reverting back to old habits. It's hard to change your productivity system without modifying your environment, since previous behaviours may have been mapped to certain spaces. And even with new behaviours make sense, it's easy to remain convinced that old habits are more effective. However, you can change the way you think about your routine. Start by identifying parts of your daily routine, such as arriving at the office, that happen with relative consistency and use them as cues for new behaviour. When I arrive at the office, I will let my task list dictate the morning's priority instead of checking emails like I used to. Just don't overthink it. The whole point is to create new habits that become automatic. And the other one is to read the situation to know how to motivate people. Keeping employees motivated is one of the most important responsibilities of a manager. To do this, make sure you're using the right motivational tools at the right time. And you can keep these guidelines in mind. First of all, feedback. To enhance commitment, 
offer positive feedback when an employee is just getting started on a project. Solicit negative feedback toward the finish line to highlight any slow progress. Secondly, goal setting. Focus on the work that's been done at the beginning of the project and focus on how much more needs to be done near the end to avoid frustration. And finally, incentives. Immediate rewards, that is a bonus, are more effective in increasing motivation. Use extrinsic incentives, money, to motivate at the beginning of a project and use other incentives such as job satisfaction to keep people persist toward the end of a project. So a couple of interesting little points there. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you enjoyed the program. We've looked at the importance of resumes today. In a moment, Jane... um, Dave Cochran will be back with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll have Tony Vidro to talk about the world of tax and some other business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Dale Carnegie once said, the successful man will profit from his mistakes and try again in a different way.